Well, good morning, Celebration. Thank you for having me. It is a joy to have the open opportunity to open up God's Word with you today. Uh, like Paul said, my name is Ryan White. I am the lead pastor of Elam Evangelical Free Church, which is just a couple blocks from you. Uh, like Pastor Dustin, I am originally from Northern California, and I have been a lead pastor over at Elam for going on about two years, so about the same time frame as well. Uh, we're both from the same neck of the woods from the San Francisco Bay Area. And I wanted to introduce you this morning to my family uh, because they could not be with me this morning. Uh, this was Brianna's week to serve in kids' ministry, so she's over there. Um, but my wife, Brianna, and then we have three kids. We have Eliana, who's 10, Elijah, who's 8, and Amira, who's 4, and starts this week at the Celebration Preschool, which we're very excited about. Uh, we had a chance to meet uh, many of you when we did Vacation Bible School together uh, this summer, which was just a blessed, blessed opportunity. Uh, but if you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, so it might take a moment to find it. Uh, I'd encourage you to turn there if you have your physical Bible with you. And if it's been a while since you've been in this particular corner of the Scripture, I want to remind you, Ecclesiastes is a book all about chasing wisdom. You turn to this book when you're seeking God's insight on how to live well in the midst of life's challenges and complexities. As you dig into this book, you're going to meet two characters. One character is the book's author, and the other character in the book is this figure called the teacher, or maybe your Bible translates it the preacher, that the author of Ecclesiastes really wants you to hear from. And it turns out that the, the teacher is really the Israelite king Solomon, who is widely regarded as, as his nation's most successful ruler and one of the, the wisest individuals to have ever lived. And as you get into this book, Solomon has a strong message for us that he sums up with a signature phrase that he repeats over and over and over. And it is this. It is hevel. Can you say that with me? Hevel. And back of the throat. Hevel. Hevel. Everything is utterly hevel. So I'm going to teach you a little Hebrew this morning. Hevel is the Hebrew word for smoke or vapor. And Solomon keeps saying this over and over to make two points about human existence. The first thing he's trying to say is that everything in life, it's fleeting and temporary, like smoke that passes through your fingers. Nothing lasts. But second, there's, there are no guarantees in this world, he says, because life is, it's this puzzling paradox. It's full of confusion and haze, like smoke. Because when you think about it, smoke's a little bit of an enigma. It's a, it's a mystery. It's there and it's not there. It takes up space, but it doesn't take up space. It impacts you, but you can't contain it, dissect it, really understand it. And that's what Solomon believes about life. He thinks it makes no sense. And that the system, if, there, if there's one here, he says it doesn't always work as it should Instead, we find brokenness and emptiness and things not satisfying the way they promised to. 
For Solomon, life ultimately proves to be frustrating. It's like chasing after wind. It's like trying to grab onto smoke. And as you wade into this book, you realize that the author of Ecclesiastes is using Solomon's insight as a bit of a sledgehammer in our lives. He wants Solomon's words to unsettle us because he thinks we're building our lives on foundations that won't ultimately satisfy us, that won't ultimately stand up to the stresses and the strains of real life. So in order for God to teach us how to live well, the author first needs to kind of break down and demolish all those ways that we're trying to find meaning and purpose apart from God. And once he's kind of knocked down the little sandcastle that we're building, he can teach us to build a dream home on a firm foundation. So here in chapter 2, Solomon's going to kind of set out to prove his case. And he's going to launch into this intense experiment to see if there's something out there that is really worth building one's life upon. And he starts by kind of taking the measure of a life of pleasure. I didn't mean to rhyme there. Taking the measure of a life of pleasure. And this is what he says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, And I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you, heart, with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But see, this also was hevel, smoke. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works, I, I built houses, and I planted vineyards for myself, I made myself gardens and parks, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. So Solomon, he, he tried it all. He threw himself into to wine and fine food, and he became kind of the ultimate connoisseur. He set his heart to acquire the luxuries and the comfort, comforts of every nation and culture that he could encounter. He pressed into beauty, beauty in the natural world, beauty in arts, beauty in creativity. He experimented with ultimate power, literally owning and, and breeding human beings. He turned his every sexual fantasy into reality. He built palaces and monuments to his 
every precise specification. He denied himself no indulgence. He threw morality and ethics to the wind for the sake of discovery. He became the the most interesting man in the world, the, the man that rulers and impoverished men alike at the time wanted to emulate and be. But at the end of the day, his verdict was gloomy. He says this, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart had found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and see, all was hevel, smoke, and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He had fun while the excitement lasted, but it did not satisfy. And he eventually grew numb to the thrills, to the indulgence. He'd crossed lines. He'd violated the well-being of others with his single-minded quest to find fulfillment. And then when reality started to crash back in, when things that were truly heartbreaking took place, that lifestyle of pleasure left him with no resources to face the new day. He had all these good things, but he could find no joy, no meaning, no purpose. Now, I've never been on an epic bender like Solomon. But my wife does go to visit her mother sometimes in Oregon and takes the kids with her, and I stay behind to work. And I I get a little taste of Solomon's life, because when that weekend comes, I get to do whatever I want, right? No responsibility. I can go on a long run through the woods. I can take a big science fiction novel and sit in my favorite coffee shop and read. I can work for hours in the yard, and then I can come home and I can stink up my house as I cook lamb, which is a smell that my wife hates. I can stay up late eating gorging myself on ginger snap cookies mm, or those little bars of dark chocolate with the crystallized ginger in the middle of it. I can re-watch episodes of The Rings of Power, that nerdy Lord of the Rings TV show that I'm obsessed with at the moment. I can sleep spread eagle across our bed with a fan blasting and the windows open, something my wife would never let me do because she's always cold. And on the first day, it's awesome, right? I'm on cloud nine. I'm like Solomon, finding pleasure in the experience. Oh, this is the sweet reward for all my hard work. But by day two, by day three, the experience starts to feel empty. Our house, it's too lifeless and quiet, and the indulgences don't satisfy like they used to. And I'm eager for my crazy little family to come home. It's hevel. The pleasure passes through my fingers like smoke, and it doesn't ultimately fill that hole. And a little later in this book, Solomon identifies what he calls a great evil in the world. He says this in chapter 6. 
There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them. This is hevel, a grievous evil. It's a shocking truth. We can be blessed with good things and not able to actually enjoy them. You see, our issue is not a lack of pleasure. Our issue, like Solomon's, is that we can't find enjoyment and satisfaction in life's good things. It's an amazing paradox. It's weird. I have a beautiful wife and three amazing kids. I've been blessed with a home, with an education, with fulfilling experiences, with a life-giving career. Yet most days, I let frustration and stress prevent me from enjoying the richness that I've been given. We don't lack for pleasure. In fact, we live in a world that Solomon could never fathom. Do you realize that you have the resources right now to go to a restaurant that serves better and higher quality food than Solomon ever ate? When it comes to adventures and thrills, you can do things unimaginable in the ancient world. You can snowboard down a mountain. You can jump out of an airplane. And yeah, Solomon may have his own personal choir. He might have had a thousand concubines. But our world has Netflix and Spotify and endless access to whatever entertainment we desire on our phones. Our issue is not an access to pleasure. It's finding life and enjoyment and satisfaction in the good things we've been given. And our issue, I think, is that we've been aiming at the wrong thing. We've been building our lives on the wrong foundation. Mother Teresa was once asked what it was like to live among the poorest of the poor. And this was a Western journalist, an American who had asked her, and her response was deeply surprising. She said, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is so much greater than the physical poverty of our people. She said, you in the West have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. They feel unloved, unwanted. These people are not hungry in the physical sense, but they are in another way. They know they need something more than money, more than entertainment, yet they do not know what it is. What they are missing, really, is a living relationship with God. We need to redefine our relationship with pleasure. It is not the foundation that we build our lives upon. The foundation is Jesus He is the treasure in the field that's worth selling all that we have to obtain. Jesus and life in his kingdom alone can offer us true satisfaction. That's the deep testimony of scripture. That's the affirmation of our faith that Jesus alone brings hope and joy. He alone breathes purpose and meaning into our lives. He alone can provide a 
abundance and satisfaction and peace. And once we decide to find our meaning and our identity in Jesus, once we commit to build our lives on his teaching and follow him in his way, all other things are added. The grace to enjoy is unlocked for us. Because don't forget what Solomon said earlier. He said a man could have everything, but God does not give him the power to enjoy them. Think of the implications there. Solomon is saying that God alone gives us the power to enjoy life's good things. Without God's activity and his grace at work in our lives, enjoyment and satisfaction are beyond us. Let that resonate. It's one of the secrets of life in God's kingdom. It's only by his grace that we can find enjoyment in life's good things. So what do we do? How do we redefine our relationship with pleasure? What might Jesus have to teach us? What's the secret to finding joy? And here's the pathway that I think Christ lays out before us as best as I can tell. Step one is this, find delight in a life with God. First and foremost, we do not aim at finding joy or securing pleasure. We aim at finding Jesus and experiencing life in his presence. What's the psalmist say? He says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. It's shifting our focus from our own fulfillment onto life with our creator. Jesus puts it a little bit differently in the Gospel of Luke. He says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... In all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek after what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. Your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. The journey to joy starts with finding deep pleasure, not in life's comforts, but in Jesus and his kingdom. And when we start there, all other things are added. So how do we find a light in Jesus? It means spending time with him. It means prayerfully talking with him throughout your day. It means going out into your neighborhood, carrying the presence of Christ with you, behaving and interacting with people in the same way that Jesus would, and then debriefing those interactions with the Lord. It means immersing yourself in his story, discussing his life with others. It means journeying with him into your day, and staying in that real relationship, that real friendship, that real connection that is open to us by God's grace. 
That's step one on the path to joy, is delighting in a life spent with Jesus. And then all other things are added. So step one, find delight in a life with God. Step two is practice gratitude. If you notice, Solomon keeps repeating this phrase, God has given, God has given. He wants us to acknowledge and remember all that God has given to us, all the ways that he has blessed us. He's calling us to practice gratitude. So there is a tradition that the Jews have at Passover to sing to God an intentional song of gratitude. And the song is called Dayenu, if anyone knows it. It is Hebrew for, it would have been enough for us. Or something like, it would have satisfied us. And it goes something like this, and I apologize, I am not a singer, but it goes, Yilu hotzi hotzi anu hotzi anu mi mitzrayim hotzi anu mi mitzrayim dayenu da dayenu da dayenu da dayenu 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 hey there's more verses but I'll translate that for you if God had only saved us from Egypt it would have been enough for us dayenu but the song doesn't actually stop there. There are 14 more verses. There's four more verses about leaving slavery, five about the miracles that God's people experienced in the wilderness, five verses about the blessings that come from a life spent with God. And after each and every one, that refrain, Dayenu, Dayenu. If it was only that and nothing more, it would have been enough for us. But your mercies were new every morning. Your gifts, God, kept piling on one after another. And I really do think we need those rhythms of gratitude in our lives. What would it look like for you to take the afternoon to write your own Dayenu song? Because when we walk the path of joy, we need to train our hearts and our minds to be grateful. I got to think, Lord, if you had only brought a new father into my life after my parents' divorce when I was young, it would have been enough for me. If you had only adopted me, a broken kid, into your loving family and become, became my father, it would have been enough for me. If you had only introduced me to Brianna, my bride, it would have been enough for me. Dayenu. Practicing gratitude is such an important part of God's gracious gift of enjoyment. So we find delight in a, a life with God. We practice gratitude, and now it gets uncomfortable. Step three is we choose contentment. This is the sticky one. Let's hear from Solomon again. He says, see what I have, see what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. 
Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Do you like that bit about accept your lot and rejoice? There's part of us that doesn't like that. We're like, oh, that's, you're telling us to stay in our place. You're, you're trying to cut us out of the prophets, the good things in life. There's part of my flesh that doesn't like that. But I actually think Solomon's just echoing Jesus. He's telling us, stop worrying. Stop striving. He's inviting us to accept simplicity and choose contentment. The Apostle Paul has a great riff on contentment in Philippians. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here's the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We think that's about, oh, I can take that hill through Christ who strengthens me. It comes in the context of contentment. Paul can choose contentment because Jesus is on his side providing for his needs. He can trust God to take care of him and to fill his life with good things, whether he's abounding or in need. Again, Mother Teresa, she explained contentment with these words, and I love it. She says, accept with a smile what God sends. Accept with a smile what God sends. Don't worry or strive. God's got this. And don't forget, more will not necessarily satisfy. It won't necessarily fill your life with meaning and purpose and satisfaction. Only God can do that. Which I want to introduce you to one more aspect of the Dainu tradition that the Jews sing at Passover. In Iran and Afghanistan, there's one more element to this that they do that I find particularly helpful. And I need a volunteer. And since Theoden and I did VBS together, I'm volunteering Theoden. So, don't look in the bag yet. But in this bag is something, and I'm going to sing Dianu song again, one verse. And when we get to the da da yenu, da da yenu, da da yenu, da yenu, da yenu, I need you to hit me with what's in that bag. Can you do that? I know it sounds weird. It's for the kingdom, and it'll hurt me more than it hurts you. Okay? He's strong. I should have picked someone's smaller muscles. Ilu hotsi hotsi anu, hotsi anu mimits rahim, hotsi anu mimits rahim dayenu, da dayenu, da da harder dayenu, da dayenu, dayenu, dayenu. Thank you. So, what are the crazy Jews in Iran and Afghanistan doing? 
hitting each other with leeks and onions. What is the point of all this? Well, if you remember in the Exodus story, God brought them out of Egypt. He provided for their every needs. There was water from the rocks. There was manna from heaven, this special bread that sustained them. And what happened? Did they celebrate God's goodness and grace at every turn? They complained constantly that they missed the onions and the leeks that they had in Egypt. So to remind their brothers and sisters in the faith to choose contentment, those Jews hit each other with onions to say, hey, you just sang it would have been enough for you if you did this. And now you're complaining that your backyard is too small. Smack. Dainu. And I kind of want the Odin to walk with me through my life, right? It's like, ah, oh, man, I, I, I wish my kid was a little different. Like, this is, he's a hard one. Dainu. And just smack you and choose contentment. God has blessed you with this boy and this opportunity to shepherd him in the way. And maybe it's like, oh, I, I wish our house feels so small. I wish it was a little bigger. Maybe you have to upgrade and go with the leak. I'm not going to hit myself with the leak. And then it may be like if my eye is starting to wander at like a, you know, and I'm looking at another woman, maybe I should have someone throw the onions, just the full-on onions, and pelt me and say, Dianu, you said it was enough. We need to choose contentment. I've learned the secret that with Christ, all things are possible. But we have to choose. We have to accept with a smile what the Lord sends. And then the last step in all of this is we have to learn to savor. Find delight in a life with God, step one. Practice gratitude, step two. Choose contentment, step three. And then step four is learn to savor. As best as I can tell, this is the final step in the experience of the grace of God that allows us to enjoy life's good things. Solomon called us there in Chapter 5, to eat and to drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. For this is the gift of God. He's telling us to savor. To savor is to enjoy and to appreciate completely, especially by dwelling on something. About a week ago, my buddy had me over for lunch, and he made steak and sweet potato and cooked spinach and, and freshly cut watermelon. And my buddy's kind of got a delicate system, so he has to buy only the highest quality of ingredients. He's one of those guys that goes to the organic farms and picks his own produce. And I came over early, so I got to see all of the care that went into this meal Got to see how he seasoned the meat, how he, he prepared the barbecue with indirect heat and how he added wood at just particular kinds of wood at the, just the right time to, to do all the smoke. I, 
And then I, I watched as he laid this feast out before me, and I realized I had a choice to make. He said, hey, I've got another steak. I can throw it on the grill. You can gorge yourself to your heart's content. But I had a choice. And so grateful, I chose to savor I ate the meal slowly. I cut it into small pieces. I noticed the subtle hints and flavors, the richness of the textures. And we, we talked about it together. I, what I was tasting and I acknowledged all of the care and attention that had gone, that he'd poured into that meal. I dwelled with that meal. And now it dwells with me. And now I approach that meal a little differently than I normally would because we don't eat red meat at home. We are almost exclusively a fish and poultry family. So knowing that it would be about a month probably before I ate another hunk of bloody flesh, I approached that steak like it was a last meal. What if we approached all of God's gifts like that? God, I know my kids are not going to be young forever. Teach me to savor this season. Even though our house is so loud and there are stuff everywhere. Because I have three rambunctious kids and all of the mess of their little adorable lives. There's beauty and there's goodness and there's cuteness here that I don't want to miss. Thank you, God, for this good gift. God, teach me to savor and to find delight in my wife. I, I want to press in fully and completely to this amazing woman that you've brought into my life. I, teach me not to rush our times together, to get distracted by lesser things. Teach me to savor this incredible blessing and cherish and serve her the ways you've called me to. You see, we can do this with all of life's good things, all of the gifts that God has given us. Savor a glimpse of Mount Rainier on a clear day. Savor that the Seahawks defeated Russell Wilson to open the season. <laughs> Savor a rich bowl of ice cream and a rich conversation with a cherished friend. Don't Forget what Solomon would teach us. Pleasure is not the main thing in life. If you make it the main thing, you will not be able to grab hold of it. It will be hevel. It will be smoke that slips through your fingers. And you will not find any joy. But if you make Jesus the main thing, he will fill your life with grace. And as a result... You'll experience richer satisfaction in God's simple blessings than Solomon felt in all of that extravagance. So choose this day. I'm going to invite the worship team forward as we'll close in song. But choose this day to walk Jesus' pathway of joy. Find delight in a life with God. Say thank you. Accept with a smile all that God gives and choose to savor it all. 
And it is my prayer that we will be delivered from our addiction to pleasure that doesn't satisfy, that we might find deep fulfillment in the pleasures that God does give. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are spoiled sometimes. You have showered us with gifts. And because we focused so much on the gifts, we missed the giver. God, we thank you that every good thing that we experience comes down from you, the Father of lights. But we also acknowledge that whatever joy we do taste, God, is only because of your grace at work in us. Teach us to walk this pathway of joy. You are the great delight of our lives. May we press hold of that on that, Lord. If there's any of us here that have been chasing after other things to find joy or meaning or purpose, God, I pray that you would correct us in your gentle grace. That we might turn from what is lesser to you who are greater. And we know that when we cling to you, all other things are added. By your cross and your empty tomb, we are washed clean. We are forgiven. We are made new. And you've come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dainu. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.